welcome to Turn the Page, the official podcast of the Syosset Public Library. and welcome to Turn the Page. I am one of your hosts today, Jen, and I am joined by my illustrious uh, colleague and boss, too. <laughs> I, I guess, is that why you say I'm illustrious? Because yes. I'm, <laughs> well, hello, I am Jessica. I am another one of uh, the hosts here at Turn the Page, Syosset Library. Welcome. We have a great guest today, the author of um, a fantastic little um uh, magical realist romance fantasy witchy wonderful <laughs> just lots of really cool stuff going on so could I ask you to introduce yourself and your book please of course I am so excited to be here uh, my name is Raquel Vasquez Gitteland and my book is it's my adult romance debut and I'm so excited about it because I've been reading romance nonstop pretty much for the last seven years um, it's called Witch of Wild Things, and it's about a, a protagonist. Her name is Sage Flores, and she's returning home after being away for a really long time because of family drama and trauma. And she is paired up to work with a man named Tennessee Reyes, and he also broke her heart in high school. And he doesn't actually know he did that. So there's a lot of, um, a lot of tension because he's still an amazing person and she's trying really hard not to fall in love with him and I won't spoil it but she fails but <laughs> so so it's just yeah it's a book about um sisters and ghosts and curses um and the natural world and things like that so I hope that was good a good <laughs> summary I didn't want to read like the whole back of the book <laughs> so no, that's great. Um, fantastic. Um, I would love if you could start off by talking a little bit about, um, you know, where the book came from. Um, I don't usually like to ask about where ideas come from because it's not like a very good question, but like, was there an inception point for you with this book that was like an image or a character or a line of dialogue? Where did the the journey kind of start for you? Uh, so this book, I wrote it, I started writing it like at the first year of the pandemic. And it was like a totally different, a totally different book, totally different characters. Um, Sage's name wasn't even Sage. She was not a plant hunter. She worked as an assistant to an architect. And it, like I said, the entire book is completely different now. And I really struggle with it. I think because the pandemic um, made me so stressed out. And when I'm stressed out, I have a hard time creating and focusing so I worked on this book for about 15 months and I want to say all told with the writing and deleting revising and deleting it was like 150,000 words and then at some point I realized none of it was really working and I deleted the whole thing and started over from the first line now I had picked up a manuscript that I wrote years ago about a girl young woman who is haunted by her her sister and I kept getting this image of a ghost sister leaving gifts. And I and I don't even know how the first line came to me, which I'll read it. I don't trust myself to remember it word for it. My great, this is the first line. My great aunt Nadia says it's a bad idea to reject a gift from a ghost. 
And that just came to me so like whole. And so when I sat down and rewrote the book, it took me, this is going to make publishing sound really easy and it, it just isn't, but it just worked out well for me. It took me about a month and a half to write the book. It didn't need any revising. And it went, I mean, to get uh, sold to Berkeley a month, because about a month later it was sold to Berkeley. I have revised it since, but, but usually I have a lot more work to do between my agent reading it and submitting it. But so it's like all that work and struggle uh, really paid off in the end. So, yeah. First of all, the rhythm of that line in general is just sort of magical in itself. Um, you know, when you write, uh, you know, because when you, you read in a certain rhythm and, you know, you have like a, a book that feels as magical as this one, do lines like that just sort of pop up in your mind as you're writing it? Like, um, it sounds like once the seeds were planted, pun intended, uh, the magic just kind of started to grow. And I don't want to say the book wrote itself, but it seems like um, in a way it just sort of... Um, grew like um, a garden of words for lack of a better phrase um well I did spend um that summer before I wrote it in the fall reading some craft books and doing outline and character um I, I forget what they call it but when you write name birth date like character outlines I guess um so I did spend time working on the bones of the book in that way but when I wrote it it did flow like I would sit down and look up and it was like evening time and it just felt like no time had passed. Somehow I had gotten 3000 words and it just didn't feel like it. And um, I would say a lot of that, the rhythmic lyrical writing does come naturally for me, but I credit that to um, a master's of fine arts and poetry, uh, which I got at from the University of Alaska I read nothing but poetry for four years straight. And so, <laughs> so it's like in, in my body and in my bones right now. I, and it's actually really helpful for, cause I do mentor unpublished writers between books. It's helpful for when I give notes. Cause I'm like, okay, the, it's almost like a feeling at this point when I'm reading a sentence, there needs to be a little something there or a little something added or one more word or one more something. <laughs> I really, um, I fell in love with Sage very quickly <laughs> as the book started. Um, she's a really wonderful character and she's very complex. And I'm wondering if um, you could talk a little bit maybe about like where um, she came from and sort of like the dynamic with Tennessee, because I'm I'm always really interested when I talk to romance writers, like how you sort of like how the personalities balance or don't balance each other sometimes, you know, and how the kind of push and pull between like what's bringing them together and what is sort of preventing that from happening, like how you orchestrate all that. Um, it's a big so, question. I'm very sorry. Yeah. Yeah. So you want to know where Sage, how Sage was developed and how their relationship was developed? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, so Sage, I don't remember. <laughs> I don't remember uh, a lot of her development. I remember working on it a lot. I don't remember specifically where it came from. I know I wanted, uh, I wanted to, it was my, this is my first adult book and I wanted to write a character who was 
approximately my age. I was, I'm still older than her. And I was trying to just get into the mindset of adult problems versus young adult problems, which is where I've been published prior. And, and some, there's some overlap, but because adulting is, even once you're an adult, you still feel like you don't know what you're doing a lot of the time. Um, but, but I think the main difference is I wanted to get to know her through a more of a history of her trauma. And because I feel like the things that guide us and the things that repel us from certain life experiences are the ones that are touching on our, our unhealed wounds. And so I, that's actually what I look at when with Tennessee too, is what are his unhealed wounds? What are her unhealed wounds, emotional wounds, and how are they going to clash and how are they going to attract based on their previous uh, trauma? And I think that answers it. Oh, I also listen to songs from the 90s and early 2000s about unrequited love because I just feel like that was my entire relationship status when I came of age was completely unrequited love. I never really had a boyfriend till I was older and I was always very socially awkward and kind of outcast. And so I just felt like I had all this affection and love for uh, guys that I had crushes on, but it was like ignored or not even noticed. And so that's a lot of where the AOL instant messenger came from to his personal experience. <laughs> so. I'm just the fact, so you actually jumped into my next question. I wanted to talk about the whole presence of AOL Instant Messenger uh, from the flashbacks because it was, if it definitely made it feel very real, um, you know, just kind of remembering how prominent that was as uh, a point of communication back then. Um, was that fun for you to write? Yeah, it was so fun um, because there, um, as much as we've developed a sort of online language now with, I'm trying to think of examples. Well, emoji, we didn't really have those like we do now back then. So we had the emoticons, I guess, where you put the like text symbols together to make winky faces and stuff. So, and each one is, had just a different meaning than than what we use today. And um, I remember I always loved doing the clown one where you put the O for the nose and <laughs> um, and just going back and, and those all those little um, shortened phrases like BRB for be right back or TTYL for talk to you. Like all those phrases really came from then. And uh, it was a lot of fun to revisit that because I hadn't I hadn't really thought about that original sort of texting in a really long time. And yeah, it was so fun because I used to, I was actually just talking to my sister about it. We would used to sneak onto the family desktop at night so that people wouldn't be reading over our shoulder and, um, and just like try to tap really, or type really quietly because the keyboards back then were so loud. So our parents would wake up and then talk to boys online, um, sometimes anonymously because they gave you more attention if they didn't know who you were, at least me. And um, <laughs> so, yeah, it was really 
fun to remember that. It was a kind of a magical time. I think that really touches on, I think, why I connected with her so quickly is that like at that age, I really felt that same way of like um, the twins sort of like being desperate to connect and also terrified to connect and how like instant messenger sort of like was a safe space to do that for like a, a sort of like thing that mediated between you and uh, like maybe the real world in a way that felt a little bit safer and that yeah that just felt like it really resonated with like my memories of that time too yeah that's like a perfect way to put it it was safe and because you in real life rejection was like devastating but if somebody said be or I gotta go g2g and and then left it was like okay <laughs> so yeah I get that too I feel that fun personal sl- snippet I had no idea what LOL meant for a while. And I thought it was an insult. Um, I thought it meant loser online. <laughs> That's so funny. So I'd be like, oh, my joke was really bad. Uh-huh. <laughs> it, 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 is, it is very funny now how people just sort of, um, you know, like online communication is just so natural like that. But I remember being at that forefront and just trying to like, figure out what those things meant and am I being insulted or is this a good thing? Um, uh, so, but um, kind of getting back to like the magic in the book. I, so I love that um, Sage is like a plant whisperer in a way that plants are sort of um, her connection to magic. Um, so are you a plant person? Do you feel an affinity for them yourself? Oh, yeah. I've always loved plants. They're a lot less complicated than humans. So (laughs) that's been helpful for them. And I also have grown up like from a lineage of women who are kind of, I've always seemed like plant whispers to me. And I've actually, actually, a couple years ago, maybe when I was writing this book, I started looking into Um, and educating myself on decolonizing the way I view landscaping and gardening. And now I teach classes on occasion on it. And so basically one of the first things I teach people when I teach classes on decolonizing the garden or landscaping is that plants are alive and the land is alive and the plants have spirits and the land is full of spirits. And so, yeah, that's, I mean, that's directly from me going, trying to go back and, and uh, unlearn things that like the colonizers taught my ancestors. So that is super interesting to me. And, um, you know, while prepping for this interview, after reading the book, um, I read an essay that you wrote, uh, that was, you do not have to explain your magic. And you talked about how um, that affects like your world building and also about like decolonizing. Um, Yeah. Could you talk a little bit about like how those ideas maybe affected, like how you present the magic system in this book? Oh yeah. And it's really directly from my family because I don't know if I wrote that. I'm trying to remember that specific essay because I've, I've actually written, I've been asked to write a lot about this since I wrote that one. Hmm. And it's, um, so when a storm comes and my mom doesn't want it to rain, she'll go and cut it out with a, with a knife. And so like all those rituals and beliefs, if we, if I was like, Hey mom, where, why do you do that? Like, where does it come from? Who taught, who, who told you to do that? 
And she'd be like, well, I don't know. It's just something we do. And so um, I actually went to my undergraduate degrees in cultural anthropology because I really wanted to understand where some of these rituals came from. And they're, for the most part, they're pre-Columbian. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them are shamanic, um, although shaman isn't quite the right word to use, but but that's what anthropologists use. Mm-hmm. And um, But we don't know where they came from. We don't know which gods or goddesses or non-binary deities that, that are connected to these rituals. And those are things that like, I don't see how I could ever recover that knowledge. And so at a certain point, I realized that I can't explain my family's magic. I can't, or what people consider magic. And, and, I, and I realized that I've been writing books that kind of were uh, inspired by this revelation even before I had it. And in Witch of Wild Things, there's a certain point she's musing on her, the curse in her family that her, she and her sisters have been born with gifts, like controlling the weather. And she has no idea where they came from. They're like, maybe it's from this or that. And we just don't know. And, and that's okay. It's okay to not know. And a lot of times when you're writing magical realism or fantasy, the first thing they'll tell you in like writing guides is, establish your magical system and like in super great detail and that just didn't ring uh it didn't ring or it didn't resonate with me because I grew up with what people would call magic and we can't explain any of it and we don't know the rules it feels like half the time mm-hmm. or even most of the time so that's where that came from and that's how I show it in this book in particular very cool Um, So another thing I really liked about how magic was portrayed here is about how, um, or it's like, you know, the magic sometimes like acts to sort of like externalize like the inner state of a character and like, you know, it's informed by their experiences and their trauma and sort of like, do you see that like, um, or like, was that, I guess, was that something that you were also thinking about was like how magic also communicates like emotion and I guess like connections with other people and stuff like that. I hope I phrased that. Okay. That was a a weird question. (laughs) No, that's a really cool question. I don't think I've been asked that one before. So now I've got to think about it for a second. Um, I just finished Teal's book. So Sage is the elder sister, Teal's the next eldest. And I think it comes through more obviously with her gift, which is the ability to control the weather, but she can't control it. Her emotions control the weather and she has a really hard time controlling her emotions. And so that was actually really interesting for me to write because on one hand, we writers, when we're writing character arcs, we have to look at the layers of the emotional development and show them in ways sometimes the reader knows more what the character is feeling than what the character knows that they're feeling and this way in this book teal could just look outside and see what she's really feeling even if she's not quite sure and so that was just really interesting to explore like she's like i don't know really know how i feel about that let me go look out the window and and find out (laughs) so um, other than that, I don't, I don't really know. Um, I would have to think about it a little more to, to answer the question about how magic might show the emotion of the characters. 
I love um, just the whole sister relationship dynamic. It was done so well here. I think there is a thirst for that, uh, just sort of in general. I mean, I know um, for a really long time, sister relationships, I feel like we're kind of always portrayed with more animosity than, you know, I guess, um, com complexity, you know, I mean, I guess there's always complexity in it, but um, there's sort of always this trope of, I, I don't want to say the wicked stepsisters, because, you know, a lot of time they're not stepsisters, but, uh, you know, especially in these books where um, the sisters are just pitted against each other, and one is sort of pure and good, and the others are not. And I think that um, there is, you know, a need for this you know you see it in like um, when you when you talk about like fairy tales in general like you know throughout um disney you have now elsa and anna um and then you know even with um Encanto, there's the madrigals but i mean going back to it like um i think one of my first favorite sister relationships portrayed in cartoons or fantasy was nani and lilo and lilo and stitch you know like you can be at each other's throats one minute, but it's a nuanced relationship and you love each other. Um, and I think that, you know, there's a lot of really nice building blocks here between Sage and her sisters, one of which is a ghost, uh, not of this world anymore. Um, you, you had mentioned before that you are a sister, correct? Mm -hmm. So what was like, what was some of, um, did you use a lot of your relationship for that or maybe just observation or just sort of what you wished you've, sort of seen more in literature of sisterly relationships um well yeah I think you're right now that I'm thinking about it your point where the sisters are either pitted against each other and there's one like really bad one or they're all bad except for the protagonist or it's like a super sweet friendship without any adversary I've, I've seen that one a lot too and um so so yeah I I this wasn't like completely specifically based on my relationship with me and my sister growing up, but I did pull a lot of um, tension, I think, just because my sister and I had to share our room our entire lives, even into, until she went to college. And, um, and that was really hard because it wasn't a big room and we, we had different like cleaning styles, different organization styles. And we just used to have just huge, enormous fights growing up about, that were really about our frustration with not having our own space. And I guess maybe I wrote this huge house as a wish, like as a wish of how I wish we could have each had our own room. But, but yeah, it's, there's just something about like, I think deep and close sisterhood is enraging at times. And it's also, like you said, in the next hour, you guys are over it because it's like expressed. The attention is expressed and you guys are back to painting each other's Tony L's and listening to the Backstreet Boys and bonding over them. So, <laughs> so yeah, I, you definitely can see where I was inspired by my relationship with my sister growing up. Well, 
this has been absolutely lovely. Thank you so much for um, not only coming to talk to us, but for writing this book. It was really just a delight. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. And thank you for this interview. I loved all your questions. And well, great. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much once again. Yeah. Listeners, uh, you're going to want to pick up Witch of, uh, Witch of Wild Things. Um, when you hear this, it will be available. So please go to your favorite library or independent bookstore, wherever you like to get your books and pick it up. I don't think you'll regret it. Thank you very much for joining us. And it is now time to close this chapter. It's time to close this chapter of Turn the Page. Join us for the next episode.